Gentlemen, welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. Please welcome a man whose stand-up is much better in the warm-up than it is in the actual podcast. It's Richard Herring. You should have killed me last year. Well, hello. Uh, welcome to Raha. Oh no, hold on. Welcome to. Yeah, I remember. I remember how this show works now. Uh, <laughs> I don't really remember it. Uh, welcome to this podcast. It's lovely to be here. It's called uh, Richard Herring's Lambert Simnel's Toes Podcast. That's what it is. We guys, we're trying different formats. This is about people uh, rating the toe, saying what their favourite toe of the pretender to the throne of King Henry VII, Lambert Simnel. Was for me, it's the big toe of Lambert Simnel, the left foot big toe. But let's see what all the guests think. I <laughs> mean... Quite inciting. <laughs> Though I was running with the bulls of Pamplona uh, the other day, um, one of the bulls gouged a drunk man to death and stamped on his skull, uh, and that bull calls the show Rahelastopper. So, uh, yeah, that's. Guys, uh, the men running that are not cool, they're fucking idiots. So, uh, welcome to the show. Um, uh, my weight loss is going pretty well, I know you've noticed. Uh, I've now lost. Um, uh, over eight kilos it's uh, this year the year of 2019 remember that people in the future watching this now uh, and that is uh, 18 pounds of weight that is in, in old money so that, that's quite exciting um, so thank you for that so I'm trying to see if I can fit into my old suits by the end if I lose another kilo a week remembering there are eight more podcasts in this series uh, then <laughs> Let's say half a kilo a week to take into account that we don't do two in a week. Is, uh, <laughs> then I might be able to fit into that suit. We'll see. Uh, and um, what was I thinking about? Uh, so uh, oh, I've been reading Limmy. Well, I've been listening to Limmy's autobiography. I don't know if you've uh, Limmy's a pr previous guest on this show. Uh, amazing autobiography. Uh, it's quite honest, and uh, he talks about. There's a bit where he talks about having his first wank. And it's literally one of the most moving things I've ever... <laughs> generally the most moving thing I've ever heard. It's like poetry, but also very funny as well. So I was, near, I was nearly crying about Limmy as I was walking my dog through the woods. But I have to say, if you get the audiobook, Limmy is doing a very offensive Scotch accent that I, uh, that I don't think... Uh... <laughs> and for a long time, he says... Uh, he, said, he was saying horn. I was, I was rubbing my horn against uh, my horn. Rubbing, I thought, this is a bit racy. But it means hand in Scotch, apparently that. So it was my hand, not my horn. <laughs> so watch out for that. Uh, and uh, yeah, I. Uh, oh, the, the other thing I was thinking about, that, uh, kind of a couple of things. I've had emails come back from like companies that I've bought things from, and they say, how likely are you to recommend this product to your friends and family? Have you had those emails? You buy something, and they email you say, how likely one to ten? And I always put three, right? I always put three, and then they come back going, oh, sorry, what? What was wrong? Nothing. I like the thing, but I never recommend things to my friends and family. So that is, if you want to know how good, how much I liked it, then ask a different question. But I am very unlikely to recommend. So, what's well, the one I got today? Can't remember. I can't even remember. Oh, it was Nat. It was the NatWest uh, app. I'm with NatWest. It was the app for their mobile banking. I'm never going to recommend that to anyone. It's good. It's really good. 
not recommend. I will not recommend it to you. But I love using it. It's very useful. Anyway, let's crack on. Uh, I'll save. I'll save up my other two bits of observational comedy. Pretty good. I've been looking at my kids all week. What do you want? I'll be one of them. Fell off a swing. The other one's fine. The other one's constipated. All right, neither of them are perfect. So, uh, I'm very excited to introduce my guest to you uh, this week. Uh, he's probably best known as the pundit on Black Mirror episode Hated in the Nation. That's a pretty good credit, isn't it? Ladies and gentlemen, it's Matt Ford, ladies and gentlemen. Here he is. Welcome. Sit down, grab a microphone. Pretty good credit. I'd totally forgotten Black I'd done Mirror. it. I'd totally forgotten I'd done it, but I had more messages. So, I mean, people won't know, but I, I, I had a cameo in an episode of Black Mirror. The one with the, is it the wasps or the bees where they get controlled by social media? Oh, yes, that's right. I wasn't sure which one. I thought it might be the one with the pig uh, being... Pig fucking. Being I was by the, the pig. Prime Minister. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> depending on which Prime Minister it was, actually, I'd, I'd be open to it. But uh, <laughs> I, I've actually had a, a cameo in this thing as myself, but I'm not well-known enough to be myself, so it was a bit peculiar. I think they just wanted a gobshite. Yeah. And I, I was like, well, that's Susan. <laughs> um, I had more messages, all the other things that I've done, which obviously, I, you know, you have to put everything in perspective, but I've had more messages about that than I've anything Pretty else. Pretty good, Black Mirror. Yeah, but I mean it for a second. It doesn't matter. It's and I think the line is, it's like one of those Sky News debate things, and you just sort of see it on the telly in the background. I think I say something like, I mean, you cannot be serious. <laughs> I think that's it. Or, this isn't even a good idea. Or, you know, one of those things that paper reviewers say. And that apparently is my finest now. It's <laughs> <laughs> well done. So that's why people are here tonight to see that. Yeah. Yeah. Now we can all go home. Uh, so, um, hey, you. Let's get straight into this because this is quite a new story. I don't know if you've talked about it anywhere. I know you do lots of podcasts, so maybe you have. Uh, you had quite a weird day recently, where quite a lot of unusual <laughs> things happened in the space of twenty-four hours. I, I, I should say at the start of this, I am an optimist. Yeah. And I'm, I always see the world in, in, in quite a funny way. So regardless of whether I'm up on my look or down on my look, I always think I have a, a positive philosophy on life. And um, I've got eczema uh, and a number of other allergies. But anyway, but that's context. So before Christmas, <laughs> I started getting this awful rash on my face and on my hands. And it was one of those things where I thought, I'll go to the GP. And, and it, what, I, I ended up going on Five Live with Adrian Charles to be a gobshite in the afternoon. And uh, he goes, bloody hell, he goes, your, your eczema's really bad. He goes, you're scratching like a bear up a fuzzy tree. He goes, <laughs> he goes you know, I, I know a dermatologist that could probably help. And I thought, I'm not going to take it. I just met Adrian Charles. I'm not going to fucking tapping him up for, you know. But it was so bad. Like, the whole top of my face was red raw. And, uh, nothing was working. And he put me in touch and, and it sorted it. And uh, this dermatologist said, I think you've got some sort of infection. So she put me on antibiotics and all these things. She went, I'll just take a swab of your skin to find <laughs> out. So two weeks later, I go back. And this is down at King's College Hospital down near Loughborough Junction. And she said, we've got the results back. And it's MRSA. <laughs> right. And I burst out laughing. She went, she went what, what's first? I said, well, I just obviously can't wait to tell my mates that I've got MRSA. <laughs> she went, because I kind of feel okay, it's just of the face. There's nothing. I was like, it's just of the face. Just of the face. <laughs> <laughs> MRSA of the face. Yeah. And I don't think she really. Under I was like, well, it's like being told you got Ebola. Like it's such a big deal. Yeah. So anyway, I'm sort of chuckling to myself as I go to the pharmacy, thinking, I can't wait to tell everyone I've got MRSA. What a day. <laughs> I get all this medicine, 
antibiotics, body scrub ointments, all these things. And I was actually, it had, this was so, it had put me in such a good mood. <laughs> I was like, who am I going to text first? Like, my mum's obviously going to be down the list. Like, I'll tell the lads first, then my girlfriend, then my mum. And then, um, <laughs> this is such a, it sounds like such a silly thing to say, but I thought, it's such a funny day, I'll treat myself to a big walk. And I live in West Hampstead. <laughs> And this was down in Camberwell. I thought, that's a four-hour walk home. I'm just going to stroll through London and have a good old chuckle about having MRSA in the face. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm walking, I've just left the hospital. Walking down Camberwell New Road. And this bloke walks towards me and he smiles at me and then spits at me full of <laughs> in the face. And I was on the phone to a mate of mine, Paul McCaffrey, who's a comedian. I said, I think he just spat at me in the face. I turned around and said, what the fucking hell was going on? <laughs> and this bloke had a rucksack on and he dropped his rucksack and he, his eyes were wild. And he just looked at me like that and went, ah! And I just went, he's going to kill me. So I, <laughs> I'm then legging it with this bag of fucking medicine. Dan Campbell Neuro just going, help! He's going to, and I gen and this is obviously in retrospect, it's horrible. I thought he's going to kill me. He's going to kill me. He's a, he's a lunatic that's absconded from an asylum or whatever, and he's going to shank me or shoot yeah. me or whatever. And I just thought, this is out. And I was running so fast. I'm still on the phone to Paul, who's going, Fordy, what's going on? What's going on? Go, he's going to kill me. And I ran so fast, I fell over. And it, this is all happening so. And I genuinely was thinking, this is out. I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. He then grabs the medicine off me, throws it into the traffic. I said, fucking no, I'm Anyway, oh, don't, and then legged it to the other side. The bus driver sees what's happening. She gets me on the bus. And I'm, this has all happened so quickly. And I got MRSA in the face. So then <laughs> on this bus, on this bus thinking, what the fuck has happened? And then a police car comes past. She stops the police car. And then this bloke is just walking towards me still. The police get him. And they handcuff him. And we're stood not too far apart as we are now. And um, the guy goes, I said, have you asked him? It turns out he's from Finland. Okay. It's a homeless guy. That's from... not it's normal behaviour in Finland. I mean, well, that's it. Like, it, it, I mean, it's a different, it's a different it just country. seems really. I was quite surprised that he was Finnish. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I don't really. So, anyway, well, anyway, so they got this bloke there and he's just sort of staring at me with these eyes. And I said, Have you asked him why he did it? And the copper goes over to him and asks him. And then he comes back and this made me howl. He went, Apparently, you've been slagging him off. <laughs> <laughs> I said, How the Oh, and then I just thought, I can't. I mean, what a story this is now. So I had to go out to the police station. And then my girlfriend and her sister were in town later that day. And I was like, I can't. I'm not going to ruin the story. <laughs> but I've had an amazing day. And I think she thought, like, I'd had a serious commission with BBC One or something like that. Stuff. What is it? So I got MRSA and I've been mugged. <laughs> yeah, it was a heck of a day. And, oh, well, this, yeah. is the, this is the other strange thing that happened. While this was happening, my name was mentioned in Parliament. Yeah, as the, as the MRSA face guy. <laughs> Unrelated <laughs> to this. Get, if you see him, get him. <laughs> <laughs> so and that, that, for me, is like, the, the, I forget that part of the story. Like yeah. It's the least important bit. I got gobbed at. <laughs> so you're mentioned in Parliament because of the... You know, it's because of your tour show, uh, Brexit Through the Gift Shop. Yes. And... It, that you had a Facebook campaign that had been censored. Is that is that right? Yeah, because it's got the word Brexit in the title. Yeah. Facebook said that it counts as political advertising, and yeah. I have to register as a political... But it's not. It's a stand-up show. It's a comedy yeah. show. <laughs> I'm not a political advertiser. I shouldn't have to register as a political advertiser. And they sh their filters should allow that to be advertised. Given the stuff they've allowed, you know, the harvesting of people's data, live beheadings, 
It feels a bit harsh. <laughs> especially given what I've recently been through. Yeah. I've definitely seen a couple of people mentioning Brexit on there and not being in trouble, but... Uh, well, exactly, yeah. I mean, <laughs> unless they've opened up a, a Finland office. <laughs> I don't think they've got m much grounds. But I'm doing the Leicester Square Theatre, actually, in a few weeks, and tickets are on sale, so... Good. There you go. This is going out on May the 22nd, so it's good for the people, it's good for the people in the room. Anyone in the room will see, he'll probably just do that story. Well, you know, the, part of the problem is, I, I, um, I saw John Richardson yesterday, he's a good mate of mine, and um, he went, oh, I mean, you'll get some material out of that. I, said, I don't really do that sort of material. I'm not going <laughs> to halfway through a Donald Trump impression then go into, <laughs> I got spat out in the face by a finished tramp. Although it's the sort of thing he would say. <laughs> He was from Sweden, by the way, very good people, very good people. <laughs> and a lot of them do do that, by the way, they spit a lot. And you know, you cannot go to London now, by the way, without people spitting in your face if you're English. And that is true, by the way. <laughs> oh, there's going to be some impressions tonight, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> oh, yeah. Set with the... be wall to wall. Said with the sarcasm it deserves. <laughs> <laughs> we got two impressionists, and I mean, in next week as well. Damn. <laughs> Giving it away. So, look, I want to know about. I don't really know much. I I'm, I'm first met you in Edinburgh, and I did like a game show thing you were working on. Do you remember like, yes, the panel on, show thing you were yeah, working on? Yeah, yeah, it was called On Heat. Okay. And it was me, John Richardson, and Mark Olver. And it was just an excuse to fool around. And I'm sure you'd agree with this. Edinburgh's become a very serious place, and that's probably a good thing. But people don't really take stuff up there just to muck about, really. Yeah. Maybe they do on the free fringe now, but then they didn't. So John was doing a solo show, and so was Mark, and I just wanted to do something. So I hosted a panel show during the day. And there was really no form. It was just an excuse to <laughs> dick about in a tent. With, yeah. uh, I remember being fun. People. I don't remember anything else of it being in that tent and being quite good fun. I'm always embarrassed now when people say, oh, I saw you in Edinburgh a few years ago. It was that panel show thing. Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> was that your first Edinburgh that you did? Or you, you yeah, it was, yeah. What year was that then? Was it 2007 or something? Six? Oh, it must have been around that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so were you working as a stand-up at that point as well? Or were you, what did you do before you got into comedy? Well, I was still working in politics at right, that point. Yeah. So I would use my annual leave to go to Edinburgh. Right. I could basically do nothing. Uh, but that was my holiday leave. So at the time, I was the political advisor to the elected mayor of Stoke-on-Trent. Right. Um, did he need a lot of advice? <laughs> yeah, he did. Well, Stoke was... I mean, you don't want to get into local government politics, yeah. but outside of London the elected mayoral model was only adopted by 12 cities. So obviously the old style mayor is the one with the yeah. chain and that, but the elected mayoral model that we have here was then offered up. 12 cities accepted it, including Stoke. Stoke was the only city to then have a second referendum to abolish it. <laughs> <laughs> During the time that I was working there. And the whole thing's a bit of a disaster, but... Um... Maybe you should run Brexit then. <laughs> <laughs> that might be the way, Maybe. My way forward. But I was, doing that, I was doing that pretty much all year round, and then my relief, my holiday was doing Edinburgh. Right, OK. Um, and you're from Nottingham? Yes, from Snenton in Nottingham, which yeah. is the shit bit, the rough <laughs> bit. Actually, it was very... As with all areas that were a bit rough, there were more nice people there than bad, and yeah. you know all you know. The street I grew up on was identical to the opening credits of Coronation Street. Rows and rows of terraced houses where there's a backyard with a low wall that then backs onto the backyard, that backs onto another road. So it's just rows and rows of terraces. And it was the only place I've ever lived where I knew all my neighbours. But the 
downside of that is they would burgle you when you went on holiday. <laughs> uh, so it was, it was um, I was raised by my mum in a, in a single parent family on benefits. Uh, it was very economically difficult. But I still think, um, I th it, it, the one thing it's given me is, it, it, I, I don't think there's anything more important in life than, than a good parent, than a, a good mum or a good dad, but they give you love and discipline. That actually, even though I was probably economically disadvantaged, in so many other ways I was very, very lucky to have had such a good mum. And I think that, whatever else happens in life, that was, that was such a good start. So I don't really think of myself as disadvantaged, really. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I didn't know that. You kind of come across as quite uh, middle class and <laughs> educated and... Bit of a tosser. Yeah, bit of a tosser. <laughs> so people, well, I went to school. I went to school, but... I, I, <laughs> <laughs> but they have schools in Nottingham. They do have some okay. schools. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to fight right. to get in. Um, people presume I'm... Privately educated. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes. No, I, d I sort of. I did. I just thought I you were an idiot. But, but then I just think that was <laughs> Now, so now I know that you're, you know, you were a single parent family growing up in Coronation Street. I've had to reassess everything. I'm going to cross out a lot of these questions. <laughs> They're really just insults I had written down. <laughs> I suppose in a way, it's a, it, I suppose in a way, it's a compliment that people would presume. You wouldn't think. <laughs> I think it just means people think you're a bit smug or, you know, brash. But that's, but that's the... Any comedian... Comedians are a bit smug, I mean, really, unless you're playing a kind of low-status character. There's a smugness to comedy that... Because you're saying, I'm, you know, I'm good enough to get up on stage and talk to you for an hour. That's, that's quite a smug starting position. <laughs> you have to have a level of self-confidence, yeah. don't you? And you have to think that you're funny, yeah. which in normal society is seen as a real downside... In a normal workplace, if someone thinks they're funny, it's a real problem. <laughs> I really thinks he's funny. No, unless they are funny. Yeah. Um, so to do it as a job is peculiar, I think. Yeah. And I still, I don't know if you have this, but I will still think on occasion, particularly going up to Edinburgh, you think, what is, what is it? What is, what? Why are people going to come and listen <laughs> to just a I, I mean, I'm not even sure. It's just making noises with my mouth. Yeah. Like, when you think about it in an abstract way, I'm not welding or building a car. It is just... Believe me, I have no idea why people come and see me at all, and I'm just hoping no-one will notice that they, <laughs> that they are coming. I just... I, I really struggle with it as a... If my granddad was alive, I think I would struggle to explain to him what it is. Yeah. Well, it's not like a proper job, and that is, yeah, you know, my, my, my grandparents from Middlesbrough, that was exactly the same situation, that kind of... Those <laughs> Coronation Street-style houses. And, yeah, they wouldn't... My granddad... Thankfully, he died before I decided doing any of this. <laughs> he wouldn't. He wouldn't have understood any of, any of this. It'd be terrible. So you were um, you were the mascot for uh, Nottingham Forest in 1993. Oh man, yeah, 26 years ago, almost to the day. Right. So uh, an old style mascot, not one in the funny suit, uh, you know, dressed as a shark or whatever, or a human hammer. I was. What would the Nottingham Forest mascot be? So, well, at the moment, a forest. At the moment, it's Robin Hood. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> not an actual. He's not one. even from Nottingham. He did his work in Nottingham. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I this argument with so many people. He's from Yorkshire. Um, he's, he's from Loxley, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> in Doncaster. But he obviously achieved it. And he's not real. That's the other thing. That's the other thing to remember about the most important thing that ever happened in Nottingham. Well, it didn't happen. Well, and it didn't. It didn't happen. And it didn't. Ha when it didn't happen, it wasn't happening in Nottingham. Well, it, it, it just just. Most of all, did you know? Nottingham has outachieved Robin Hood. Yeah. Uh, Boots is from Nottingham. Yeah. Uh, brown sauce, invented by a, a, a green grocer in Nottingham. Uh, uh, the Salvation Army, 
William Booth lived in yeah. Snenton, just around the corner. Not at the same time. Uh, what else? Oh, we're the smallest city in the world to win the European Cup. We won it twice with Brian Clough. Mm -hmm. uh, rally bikes. Yeah. It's not that good, is it? Vicky McClure. <laughs> 2,000 years. Paul Smith, the fashion designer. Yeah. I'd say it's achieved. Okay. Now this, this jumper's Paul Smith jumper. Well, there you go, you there see. You know. You'd be naked were it not for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Take it all back. Uh, so, tell, you, met, you met Brian Clough. Yeah, I was a mascot for a Forest game, and he, uh, it was one of his last games in charge. Yeah. If you don't know Brian Clough, he's arguably the most charismatic football manager that ever lived. But towards the end of his reign, alcohol had really started to ravage him. Yeah. And Forrest, he'd taken a provincial club to the heights of Europe, which is astonishing, really. And then towards the end, in the first season of the Premier League in 92, 93, Forrest were just nowhere. We had Roy Keane playing for us, and Nigel Clough, and Stuart Pearce was around a bit that season. It was just incredible watching this empire fall, even as a kid. And... Um, I still, it's really weird talking about me because I, and I'm sure a lot of people will understand this. I think of Brian Clough like a, like a relative, like a family member, and I feel so emotional about what he did because he was beyond football. He was a great socialist. He used to uh, talk about politics and things. He was, very, he was a huge TV personality, but what he did for Nottingham specifically was so powerful. I remember his last game in charge was against Sheffield United, and there's a huge rivalry because of the miners' strike, and Nottingham miners with Nottinghamshire miners were the first ones to cross the picket line, and it's always been a ferocious rivalry with the Yorkshire clubs. And we're losing 2-0 at home, and the, the, this whole football stadium just goes silent, and Clough is just stood there, his face pockmarked with alcohol. People can't believe what they're about to see, that this, this is going to end in failure, this incredible legacy. And the Sheffield United fans... Just start singing, Brian Clough, Brian Clough. And he, oh, man. <laughs> and you just see him give him a, a thumbs up. And there's a bit afterwards where he's interviewed by, I think it's Barry Davis. And Barry Davis, they have this interview. Clough's just gone. He's, he, he's almost certainly drunk and his, his brain is fading. And he can't even find, for a man that was so verbose and articulate and, and charismatic, to not to be able to find the words. And Barry Davis says something like, we're going to miss you, Brian. And he, he, he just goes, ah... Oh. And it's this awful, <laughs> <laughs> fuck. But, but, but the night I was the mascot, he's there, like, face red raw with booze. And I had a little bit of eczema on my face. It hadn't yet developed into the MRSA, it could have been. <laughs> and I go in, it's the first time I'd smelled alcohol in an adult's breath. I'm 10 years old, I'm in the forest changing room, Roy Keane's naked. <laughs> I could still pick that thing out of a lineup today, but it was so much... <laughs> Cluffy looks at me, and they say, oh, Mr. Clough, this is the mascot, Matthew, and he looks at me, and he goes, bloody hell, son, you are an ugly bugger. <laughs> oh, ten, petrified. I was like, oh, and he goes, um, he goes, that's, what's that on your face, young man? I said, oh, it's eczema. He goes, you look, he goes, what have you been doing all afternoon? Headbutting pizzas. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, come into the physio's office, I'll see if we've got anything for it. And <laughs> Nigel Clough's there getting his legs done. And they give me this stuff called Betnovate. Now, anyone who's had eczema will know, it's steroid-based. You cannot use it on your face. It gives me this stuff, it works a treat. I go back to my GP as a 10-year-old with my mother, and he says, wow, what it's all gone. Like, have you taken wheat out of your diet or dairy? I said, no, I've got Betnovate. He said, please don't put it on your face. <laughs> It's, it will cause skin cancer. It was developed on horses. <laughs> he goes, where did you get it? And I said, um, Brian Clough gave it. <laughs> I never get this. The GP went, you met, you met Cloughy. See, <laughs> <laughs> so I was a mascot the other day. My mum was like, sorry, has he got skin cancer or not? <laughs> and then 
And then years later, so I had a photo, I, I tweeted it the other day, because it was 26 years ago to the day that it happened, of him in his famous green jumper, and he's hugging me in his forest kit. And when he brought out his autobiography, not long before he died, I queued up for hours, I got the book signed, I got that signed. Right. And um, <laughs> I said, oh, can you sign that as well, please, Mr. Clough? And he looked at the photo and went, ah, oh, I looked a lot better back then. <laughs> and then he went, so did you, you fat bastard. <laughs> I was just, I was like, the only two times I met him and he insulted me. It's like such a, <laughs> such an empowering feeling. Oh, it was brilliant. What a guy. Different times, isn't it? It was different times. <laughs> adults just be rude to kids. Um, <laughs> terrific. Uh, hey, look, I'll ask, because we had some fun with the emergency questions backstage with the mainly ladybird-based uh, questions backstage. You can see those uh, at uk. Oh, well done. <laughs> but I didn't catch you out, but... Sort of like a little religion. You can understand how political parties, you know, political leaders get to this stage where they they have acolytes and people follow them. It's like I've got seven blokes who will shout, <laughs> shout a nonsense collection of letters whenever I say it. <laughs> um, okay. Who do you consider the best of Jesus' more obscure disciples? God. So you can't have any of the main ones. You can't have uh, Peter... Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke and John. John. Can't have uh, Saul, Paul, because he's not even one of the disciples. So oh, I don't even know who the others are. Okay. Um, there is Thomas. Dang Thomas. You can't have him. He's too famous. <laughs> Judas was one of them. Judas, he's too famous. <laughs> it's got to be one of the more obscure ones. So we got through... Dave? I, was Dave? No, it wasn't Dave. My choice is the, be is the best choice. So it's the only one I can think of. Try, just try... There was... <laughs> Let's see if we can name more 12 disciples. I can, well, before Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John. I'm not sure. Were they all definitely disciples? I mean, they were... They... No, weren't they? No. But I think they were probably once called that, though, weren't they? Because they, they, they didn't have that many names back in those days. <laughs> they named people just from the, book, the, the books. Uh, Judas, Thomas... But poor, he doesn't count. Um, uh, anyone else? Two, two Judases. Two Judases. Oh, Judas Jude, Iscariot. Jude and... the Obscure. And the other one. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's good. The other Judas. What the fuck did he do? Jude, Jude, the other Judas expert. What did he do? Yeah, exactly. Fuck him. So he's he can't be the best of the obscure disciples, can he? Because no one knows what he did. Thaddeus. Matthias. Matthias. <laughs> Not just characters from Life of Brian, mate. It's actual disciples. We're going. That's the that's the bloke who runs the the, the house they all hide in. My bones are weak, my eyes are feeble. <laughs> Thaddeus is the correct answer. Um, what is your favourite kind of non-human milk to drink? Oh, uh, cow. Yeah, it's good. I, good had some, I had goat's milk as I a did. kid yeah. to try when I had, you know, when my allergies were bad. We tried all sorts of things, and goat's milk is disgusting. Yeah. So I get oat milk. And, and all that, but goat, I don't understand why anyone would have goat's milk. I it's had fun. camel milk once on Saturday, on Sunday brunch. And what was it like? Oh, really horrible. <laughs> really, it tasted like it'd been inside a camel. <laughs> <laughs> really horrible. I used to, in my TV show, I used to say I would, I would drink different milks of different animals every week, but I never really did. I did drink some goat milk oh. straight from the teat of a goat. I mean, it, onto my hand into the, not, I didn't suck. <laughs> I was like a little kid. I milked a goat and then I went, ah. It was nicer when it's fresh. Maybe. What yeah. do you think about the, um, the, the new uh, nut-based milks? And 
I'm allergic yeah, to nuts. Are you? Yeah, I've got... God, a, I've you're got, a terrible person. <laughs> <patient. laughs> I've, got, um, I've got anaphylaxis. Have you? Where fish and nuts have a fatal wow, allergy to Wow, yeah. so I could kill you, like... I could kill you with a nut. Oh, you could kill me with have all sorts got, of... Have you got, if you hit me hard enough with it. <laughs> have, you got, uh, have you got... If that Finnish bloke had just known he could have thrown a nut at you... Oh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you'd just been eating nuts, <laughs> that might have killed me. I mean, you'd been very impressed have with it. Have you got, like, a, an EpiPen you carry with you? Yeah, I've got an EpiPen in my When bed. Brexit turns up, you're going to die, mate, because they're, they're, they're not going to get those into the... Make sure you store a few of those before have, Brexit. I've got two, yeah, yeah. Two's not enough. What if, <laughs> well, what if mean, someone gives you a peanut butter sandwich and then the next day someone gives you some almond milk? You need two, mate. You need one, two. Well, obviously, the, 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 the great check and balances me not eating the peanut butter <laughs> <laughs> you can hand it to me but I'm, I'm at liberty to hand if it you're back. in the same like the air because when we get on an aeroplane this annoys Ricky Gervais I noticed on his stand-up special he's annoyed that you're not allowed to eat nuts on a plane because there's someone with a nut allergy on there which seems un a bit mean to me given the person will die yeah. uh, you know how much does Ricky Gervais like nuts uh, but uh, if someone on a plane do you have to go sorry and you're not no one's allowed to eat nuts on oh the plane? no 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 so it's not it's not that it's only if I ingest them right, so people okay. can eat them near me and that's yeah. fine my niece <laughs> is one of you lot as well and uh, she's <laughs> she's uh, she we my daughter was eating a peanut butter sandwich in the car and she was like she started going a bit weird Shit. yeah I mean it's part of the problem is allergies have become preferences really so some people say I've got an allergy to this or intolerance to that and it, they haven't it, it's not going to kill them no but I get lumped in with all those people <laughs> I'm like I am properly I'm fucked so don't it's, I'm not being cool yeah I was I, I was allergic to stuff way before other people when it was like indie <laughs> way so before you say else. fish is what nuts and fish oh fish is really severe so if that's cooked near me it all just goes off wow it's, it really and I've never been there's an unmistakable... People who are sure suffer from it. Like a, it's like you've eaten nettles. And I feel it's, you can feel it. I had some as a kid. So that's how I found out I was allergic. I had fish at my auntie's house as a child and got rushed to the hospital. Then I remember, I must have been about nine years old, and my GP said to me, I just go to the doctors a lot, and he said, you know what, you've probably grown out of it now. <laughs> to a nine-year-old. Yeah. Next time you have fish fingers at school, just try one. <laughs> And like one mouth, <laughs> straight What incredible advice yeah. to a child! Oh, fucking try. You're like, oh yeah, you probably haven't. You probably haven't grown out of it. That's where that doctor. <laughs> yeah, no, probably thinking about yeah. it. I did say haven't. probably. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm covered by the Hippocratic oath. Good. So you wouldn't have got that without the old milk question. Probably that's. A, I didn't know that about. Very secretive man. There's not much about you on the internet, but that's. Uh... Well, it's because I'm not famous. Well, you are. You are. Um, let's, well, you, 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 let's talk about your podcasts and, um, yeah, you, and your TV show. You've got do, a podcast you've been doing for how many years? Five, six years? It's in its seventh year now. Seventh it started year. in 2012. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so about the same time as this. Yeah. Uh, that's the political party. Yeah. I was listening to you talking to Tony Blair. That's a good guess, isn't it? Better than fucking Matt Ford, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be yeah, true of most. <laughs> <laughs> Tony Blair? <laughs> Yeah, I mean you're a big, you're, I mean you're a Labour supporter, and you're and you're a Blairite, really. I think is it fair to say? I'm you, a Blairite, yeah, yeah. So it's not. So that must is that like, is, we? How do you? You've met him a few times and worked with him, talked to him a few times. You haven't seen him a few is times. It, do you find it? Because sometimes when I get people on that I really are massive fans of, it's fine hit today. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I kind of become a bit of a fanboy and and, and find it quite difficult. 
Are you, is, are you able to be cool it out with Tony Blair? It's or? more. I think some of them take you by surprise. So I've had Tony Blair on, Michael Heseltine. Right. And it is sometimes you do sit opposite someone and think, you're sat here talking to me. I used to run the country. Or, or like with Heseltine, that, that was a huge figure that growing up I never thought I was going to end up meeting, let alone interviewing and being able to ask him anything that came into my head. So it's more just that. David Blunkett the other week. Yeah. It's a fucking Blunkett. <laughs> and it's not about whether they're left wing or right wing or whether I'd vote them or not. There are certain people that are so impressive. And Tony Blair is a highly impressive individual and he can talk really well, he can explain things in a way. I think particularly now with Brexit, he seems to be the only one of a calibre that is capable of exposing how bad it is and in a very articulate way. I feel myself almost, you know, becoming... <laughs> I, I, I think that's the thing, Richard. You know, you look at Brexit now and... Yes. <laughs> that's what a mess it's become. Uh, and he has an ability to talk and to... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. But he is, he is very, very good. And you yeah. do think, fucking hell, why is no one else putting it like that? But I mean, the, I'd listened to the, the Tony Blair one on, on the drive here, as yeah. I drove here. And, um, Late research. Yeah, it's very... It's good. It's, it's nice when things are, you know, easy. <laughs> you know, when, you, when you have to read it. Uh, and... Uh, you know, he's, he's, he is incredibly articulate about how stupid an idea it is and why it's gone wrong. But nobody is really, you know, I mean, it's going in podcasts, it's going, it's not really getting out into the general public, I think, these, this argument, is it? That I think part of the problem, obviously, with Tony Blair is some people just, the moment it's him, just won't listen. Yeah. Um, but I think, there's, there's, I think that number is maybe falling a bit. There's people become increasingly exasperated with Brexit. On, on either side... They do just want some clarity about what the hell is going to happen to all of our lives in a few weeks. Yeah. And if, if you're listening at home, you may know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this was broadcast um, in what we now call free times. <laughs> um, my God. So he's, he just has, I think, he possesses a unique ability that I don't think many, or I can't really name any other British politician at the moment of his level in terms of talent. And that's another thing is, I think with politics it becomes so tribal. Sometimes you do just have to respect when an opponent is really good. And William Hague was someone that I would never have voted for, but he's one of the most incredible politicians. He got a lot of things wrong and he can really own that now and he's grown into somewhat of a statesman. And I think, I, what I really think is, great, there's a great thrill to sitting down opposite someone you really disagree with, like tonight, and, <laughs> and enjoy each other's company and yeah. not be tribal and not be angry and not go fucking hell with the Tories or, or the Corbynistas or whatever and just sit down and understand why people have got to the decisions they've got to, why people think the world is a particular way, what they think will sort it out. And you realise most people are very well-intentioned and a lot of them work really hard and there's a huge amount of sacrifice and some of them are really impressive people. Yeah. Well, that's the problem is everything's become divided into right and wrong and left and right and... You know, you, you, it's these gangs of people and anyone transgresses or questions, even yeah. questions something, and you're, there's this feeling of a pylon coming on. I think a lot of it is just you're on Twitter and you say something and 10 or 15 people feels like a lot of people, yeah. and it's, but it's the same 10 or 15 people <laughs> going after everyone, you know. I think the, I think the, the most worrying divide is, is good and bad. If people think, not that just they've got a different opinion, but you are morally wrong if you disagree with me and therefore you're evil. And I think that's um, maybe on occasion the case, but more often than not, the Tories just disagree with you and that's okay. You can disagree passionately with what they've done to parts of this country. I would never vote for them given the experience that I had growing up um, and what, what they've done to certain things that I care about. 
But when you talk to them, they genuinely think they're making the world a better place, and you have to understand that. And, and the same when I look left is, I don't agree with a lot of what Corbyn stands for, but I understand that it's done with a lot of good intention. And for me to, or for anyone to think, well, you disagree, therefore you're stupid or evil, I think that's where the corrosion comes. Actually, disagreeing is a great thrill. And enjoying listening to someone else's ideas that you completely disagree with is so intellectually stimulating. And I always come away so much more refreshed from talking to someone that I've disagreed with than someone that I've agreed with. Because I think, well, I sort of already knew that. Yeah. Well, people used to debate, the, you know, it used to be like, have a debate, have a think, think about whether I'm going to change my mind about that yeah. subject. But it just does seem, you know, you've, you've got to choose your camp and choose your argument. And I, the only thing I don't, I really hate it when people feel they're not able to discuss things. And I think that's where a lot of the Brexit stuff comes from because people felt rightly or wrongly they weren't allowed to talk about certain things. Yeah. And then that becomes like a shrouded little conversation that you're having in darkened <laughs> rooms. And then those lies and those, you know, those exaggerations become facts in your head. And, you know, that, that's, that's where it can all go wrong, really. So if you can talk about stuff and just have someone go... Tony Blair go, oh, yeah, you know, we had complete sovereignty except over certain things. <laughs> what no one said about Brexit in the, in the lead-up to Brexit was, of course, you know, Europe gets a say about what we do, but we get a say about what, Europe, what the EU does. We get a veto about what the EU does for, for many things, yeah. which we'd be giving up. So, you know, that's the thing that I never heard until afterwards. And you sort of think, oh, yeah, it worked. It's, it's a two-way thing. But then facts, and this is another problem with the era we're living in, facts really sadly at the moment don't seem to matter is that it's become very very emotional so even when you say to people look brexit is going to cost you your job people say well i'll still do it and actually the challenge for those of us that voted to remain and would like to somehow keep us in the european union either at a later date or by stopping this is that you have to accept and someone there's a great academic called arnan menon who's doing loads of stuff for king's college and he, he made a really good point i think i went to he said the underlying social problems that led to brexit have not changed if you have another referendum, you still haven't addressed it, the, 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 the scale of inequality, the, the, the lives that people have, particularly in pockets of the northeast and elsewhere, people's relationship with London as a society, Scotland's relationship with England. All these things have, have not changed since the referendum. So to refight a referendum, yes, the campaigns will be different, but the underlying causes are still raw and they're still there. And that's a big problem. Yeah. But this argument that the, the, the right wing will, will profit if we don't go through with it, I think it, it doesn't hold water, does it? Because if it doesn't go through exactly as they want it to, then they've still got exactly the same excuse. So a bad, you know, a, what they consider a bad Brexit will be just as bad as not Brexiting at all. And there's no way of doing the Brexit that they all want because they all want different things. <laughs> well, that's part of the problem is it's such a big question. And it's really simple, do you want to stay yes or no? But actually the implications of it are, are, are hugely complicated and they're problematic. And I, this sounds so sad, but the thing that I really, really worry about, and it's pathetic that I worry about this, I genuinely worry about the stability of the planet, the stability of global politics. And I think for Britain, a nuclear power at the centre of Europe to retreat at this point of Putin, of Trump, of ISIS, of all the other volatility that's happening in Europe, for, for us to retreat at this point, I really worry about what it says about what people's global responsibilities are. Now, why am I sat at home worrying about that? <laughs> you know, maybe other people do as well, but I really think what, like, this is far beyond just what we're going to do to ourselves. We are ushering in a new period that is deeply problematic, that I really, really worry about the stability of global democracy. Um, as much as I worry about, you know, my facial rash or... <laughs> Oh, goat's milk. 
I, it drives me mad, actually. Yeah. I sit at home worrying about it. Good for your career, though, isn't it? So, well, on, on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, Brexit has created at least one job. <laughs> and it's mine. But, um, I mean, there, there is a thrill, actually, in doing stand-up about it. Yeah. Because you can go around the country, taking the, and I take the piss out of all sides and all parties. In a weird way, this is the best time to be doing political stand-up. Yeah. So, in a, in a peculiar way, Trump and Brexit have been huge gifts to me. Yes. So thank you. So it's all right for you. <laughs> thank as you, As long world. as you're doing all right. <laughs> yeah, that's, exactly, that's yeah. the best thing. And do you have to change that show like every day or every week? Is it? Is, it, is any of it the same as when you started? Are there bits that can stay the same and you, and you mess around with other bits or are you just sort of free-flowing <laughs> as the news changes? There are bits. So I, the, 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 um, there are still like big routines that you have that can still yeah. stay, but I've changed so much of it since Edinburgh, probably a third of it or maybe half of it has changed. Yeah. But that's a great thrill. To, to, I mean, what an incredible job. I often think this. When I ever get stressed about, oh, fucking hell, I've gone and left the label, I'm going to write some jokes about this. I always, also think to be able to sit at home in like a, a safe part of the world and write jokes about, isn't it funny that the independent group are called, you know, Tiggers or whatever, or Tiggers <laughs> with Attitude, or whatever it is they're going to call themselves, and think that that is actually a job. That's fucking incredible. That is incredible <laughs> that, I, that I can go. I've done a bit of work this morning. What have you done? I've done some Tigger puns. <laughs> and I'm really pleased with myself. I've worked bloody hard, you know. So equally, as stressful as comedy can be when you're having to constantly change things, what a thrill to have a platform where... You can do a few nights in the northeast and think, oh, I'm going to try all these different jokes out about Corbyn or Brexit. That's great fun. And what do you think? It's May 22nd now. Uh, <laughs> or, or maybe beyond that. And, you know, what do you think has happened? What, what do you reckon? Is, do you think we're in the EU in, on May the 22nd? Oh, do you think, man. Do you think we've left? Have they extended Article 50 for a bit? I think... You know what I would have said on March the 4th? If you'd have asked me on March the 4th, <laughs> I'd have said... <laughs> I'd have said... I, it, I, I would say an extension was perhaps likely. Yeah. But I think that's all I... The problem I've got is I'm obsessed with politics and all my predictions are really shit. <laughs> <laughs> I sit at home, you know, I've, I've been obsessed... I've been politically active since I was about 13 years old. Totally obsessed. It's all I read about. It's pretty much all I consume on telly apart from football. And yet, I don't know what the fuck is going on. So I, I thought Trump was going to lose. I thought we were going to stay in the European Union. I thought Corbyn was going to get thumped at the last... <laughs> Every prediction is diabolical. So, oh, actually, yeah. maybe some reverse psychology on myself. I think we'll have left. Okay. So then that means maybe we'll somehow remain. <laughs> That's just fucking full I mean, you know, I think if it, even if we have to go through... It's sort of, it seems insane to me... If you were for leave, let's take a bit... Why are we doing it so quickly? Take a bit of time, do it right, so it doesn't fuck up. Otherwise, you're going to look like an idiot. So it's just, it's just like, oh, we've got to leave, we've got to leave. Well, it's more complicated than that. No! No, let's just go. No, let's just take it. No, there was no... We're going to leave the EU on March the 21st, 2019. We could have left in 100 years' time and the, the referendum would still be upheld. Yeah, but you've got to remember that they never thought they were going to win. No. And I can't believe that they've won. So the, the, the threat of that being taken away is so severe. So right, just do it now, just get it done before. It's like sort of heading towards 
you know, a golden goal used to be in football. Like, End the game now. Yeah. We've scored. Next goal wins. Right, that's it. No more rules. <laughs> no, 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 no. The ball is... We've taken the ball home and that's it. And it is just that desperation. They can't believe they've won. And everything else is just trying to frustrate it. So, they, you know, you talk to really hard-line Brexiteers, they think, they think Theresa May is a Ramoniac. You know, they think the whole thing is... They think most Tories are, are traitors to Brexit. The real hard-liners see all this as a, a Remainer elite trying to frustrate Brexit. And to some extent, they're right. <laughs> <laughs> I want hard Brexit. Do you really? Yeah. Why? Because that's the only way to prove it's not worked. <laughs> so let's go in hard. Like a few not allergy guys are going to die. I can take that. <laughs> Surprise for the Ricky Gervais will be happy, and that makes me happy. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then it won't work. If, if you don't do hard Brexit, if it's anything else, they'll just go, oh, see, told you. Because it was Farage. You've interviewed Farage on... Your, how did you cope? Because I, I was in a room with him, and I just cope. felt... How did you cope having to talk to him? I was in a room with him, and I felt sick. Yeah, and like you know, and like I could, I was walking behind him in a dark corridor in one o'clock in the morning on this week, no one else around. You know, in fifty years' time, people go, "Why didn't you kill him, Rich? You could have saved. You could have. Why didn't you kill him?" <laughs> but if I'd killed him, I'd be in prison. Yeah, you would. Yeah. Um, but in fifty years' time, I'd be a hero. <laughs> Maybe you would, but I am. Um... If I could travel back in time to kill Nigel Farage as a baby, <laughs> that's apparently that's that's all right if you do it when they're a baby. <laughs> no, go. Yeah, well, how did you how did you find Nigel talking, having to look him in his oily, disgusting face? <laughs> He's um, literal lizard face. So I interviewed him. It would have been uh, in 2012. So this was pre way before Brexit, really. So he was kind of UKIP were big-ish, but obviously they didn't have any MPs at that point or anything like that. It, it didn't feel that they were on the brink of achieving their ultimate objective. So it was more, he was a kind of, not a figure of fun, but he wasn't the severe threat to everything that people, perhaps, including yeah. myself, realised that he was. And I have to say, whatever I thought of his politics, he was very funny. I mean, that's, what I often think is, it's okay to accept you find people funny that you disagree with. It's okay to accept that you find people talented that you disagree with. And I think sometimes you go, well, he's wrong, therefore everything about him is vile. I mean, he... I have to say, I mean, he kept banging on about the financial crash. No, 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 hold on. The last Labour government, Gordon Brown, crashed the economy, uh, and that's the way all this... I said, but you, you worked in the city. Like, these are your mates. your mates that crashed the economy. Said, no, 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 look, I worked in the city for 14 years, and I worked damn hard until lunchtime, every single one of those years. So <laughs> oh, fuck it. And he would sort of make you laugh. He'd say, oh, shit. <laughs> He's got some really good lines. And there was a bit halfway through, he went, look, you've been asking the questions all night. Can I ask a question? Said, yeah, went, can someone get me a decent bottle of Rioja? And some bloke in the crowd, five minutes later, appeared with this beautiful bottle of wine. He just sank it on his own. Wow. So there was something kind of... The one thing I thought that he had that I think people still haven't cottoned on to is, as much as it's a persona, it's an act. It's a very likeable persona and act. And I think part of the problem with politics wasn't necessarily policy because I would defend the record of the last Labour government. I think it delivered for a lot of people, particularly from the backgrounds that I came from. But it was the style in which it was done, particularly towards the end, that people just started to turn off from a bit. Politics felt managerial, it felt sterile. The language was weird. People started using phrases that didn't mean... And all that hard-working families shit, I just thought it was really odd. Whereas Farage was a bit rough and ready. You know, his politics aren't mine, but there was something stylistically he was doing that, that he was well ahead of the game. And I just think what he taught you is you can make public mistakes, 
and then sort of either apologise for them or not. You don't have to get every answer right. You don't... Politics shouldn't... It, the pressure should be on to deliver for people and to change the world for the better place and to be professional. But I think as a society, we have to get ourselves to a place where politicians have to be allowed to make mistakes because everyone else is. Yeah. And we, I think as people... I would rather see a politician for who they are a bit and see a little bit more of them rather than having to pretend to all behave the same way and move the same way. And oh, use definitely. The same I mean, I think the whole... Si but it feels like the whole system is corrupt and fucked up and that it just needs... You know, it's old-fashioned. For me, the problem is all of these things that are happening in the main parties are backward-looking and we're going back to the 50s or the 70s, whichever party you want to be with. And we should. We're not. We're not. We're not. Yeah. We're not looking forward to the future. You know. And that's what. And, and it feels to me like Parliament's this. You know, horrible old boys' public school club. Even if even if the, everyone's not been to public school, yeah. all the umming and ahhing and the harassing and the yeah, rules yeah, are ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the fact that not, not everyone's got a fucking seat in the build. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. What, build. build a, we'll build an actual Parliament <sighs> <laughs> that, everyone, that everyone can sit down in. No, no. Yes. <laughs> the thing is, what the things that I like about Parliament are that it's a bit rowdy, and that it. I mean, well, very few other parliaments in the world, very few other countries have the sort of vibrant debate we have, where the elected leader of the nation every week has to face the leader of the opposition with no idea what's going to be asked in the harshest environment. Now, sometimes it's definitely too harsh, and that puts good people off from going in. But I would rather live in a vibrant democracy than these sort of European-style amphitheatres where everyone's sat behind a laptop and it's all just a bit calm and respectful. I think a bit of, a bit of energy, a bit of argy-bargy is good. But then, yeah, but then I don't think... It doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel... You know, I don't feel connected to it. I know lots of people don't feel connected to politics. Whatever happens with Brexit... It's loads. Of, no, it's not. They're, they're worried about all these people who voted in Brexit and they're not going to vote again because they only ever voted in Brexit and then they didn't get it. Didn't work. Those people aren't going to vote again. They only voted because it was Brexit anyway. So they're worrying about a load of people who'll never vote again anyway, who never voted and aren't interested, because the whole system. They, all they wanted to do was go. This is shit, and I understand that. But it's not shit because people in Parliament go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, they are, it, it is a bit. What maybe about that's part what of about that, <laughs> What about that bloke who keeps on stopping really good bills going through because he doesn't oh, like the... Christopher Hope. Yeah. Christopher Chope. Yeah, because he doesn't like the, the, the way that that rule works. Well, he's an idiot, but you're not going to... You're going to get idiots in politics. So don't whatever the system... There's, there's 60 million people in the country. You think you find 650 who aren't idiots. Yeah, but... But I would say of the six, 60 million, a lot of them are, like, a lot of us. A lot, and I there's speak 650. The... I reckon there's 670. I reckon we could have 20 spare. <laughs> I speak as an idiot. <laughs> yeah, me too. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do the job. But, you know, it's, it's just, that, that's the problem. And so, you know, but it, I think things are very precarious, as, as you do. I think, you know, everyone assumes it'll be all right because it always has been all right. But that's what people in Pompeii thought, didn't they? The day before that volcano went off. <laughs> They thought, oh, fine, I'll just have a wank. Oh, no. <laughs> but, I mean, the wank wasn't the wrong decision. It wasn't. <laughs> but it's embarrassing for that to be how you remember, isn't it? He yeah, probably did a lot of things, that wanking bloke, and then, ah. Oh, I'm famous. the bloke who wanked in a, in a lava storm. Is that what you call wanking? <laughs> Meet the volcano with your own volcano, that's why. Maybe he was trying to put it out. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, um, you are lucky because your show, well, you do a show, Unspun, yes. which your management company on their website says is ultra topical. 
Which I'm quite interested to find out what that is. Is that, oh, do you know what's going to happen before it's happened? Because no. it's oh. either topical or it's not topical. It can't be ultra topical. What is it? You can see five minutes into the future and go, oh, what's coming up is this. You know I've, what? Got, I've got special magic powers. <laughs> it's a press release. Right? <laughs> ultra topical. But you, this is, I don't know if you know this, and I know you're being slightly facetious, but when you get interviewed by local radio people and they've got your press release, yeah. It's amazing the bits they pick up on. I had an interview recently where the guy said, uh, oh, it says here that your gigs at the South Bank Centre were raucous. <laughs> I said, all right. He goes, uh, what does that mean? So it just means, you know, loud. He went, yeah, but were the gigs particularly raucous? I said, but I mean, it went down well. Right, so it wasn't like actually raucous. I was like, mate, it, it, just, it just meant the gigs were good. Like, is this a problem? <laughs> I said, I think we got off on the wrong foot. And he, was, he kind of admitted that he'd been a little bit... Because, to be fair to him, and, you know, the thing you pick up on is, is most people don't want to interview comedians for a local radio. So when they get a press release, they're like, who the fuck is this bloke? <laughs> oh, raucous, was it? Well, the listeners of Radio WM will decide <laughs> how raucous this chump Do is. Do something raucous now. Yeah. Be raucous. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Mr. Raucous. <laughs> So you're always at the mercy of... Uh, I suppose old, the reason why it was ultra-topical... Yeah, why, why it was more topical than just something that's topical. Because it was broadcast... How be more topical? Because it was filmed and broadcast on the same day. Well, that's just topical. Well, no, because a lot of topical shows are filmed... topical. A lot of topical shows are filmed the day or, or, or two so days It's more before. topical than other shows, but it's well, not then ultra... It's, by definition. It's not ultra-topical, it's just top... They're not very topical and you are topical. If they're calling they're themselves... Now, I mean, this is untopical because... We recorded this in March. It's going out in May. This is the least fucking topical <laughs> show. They should come. I'm not saying it. it's ultra untopical. This show. <laughs> and the things we're talking about are no longer relevant to the audience who they're mainly for. Well, that's that's something to be proud of. That's something that deserves ultra in front of it. <laughs> Doing something that goes out the same day the things happened is topical. Normally topical. But relative, relative to topical which often includes one to two day delay, yeah. until these Quite more topical. so-called topical <laughs> shows start calling themselves less topical, yeah. innocent people like me will be forced to define ourselves as ultra... I self-identify... I think to be ultra-topical... As an ultra-topical... At comedian. the very least, the thing has to be happening at the exact same time you're doing the joke about it. Preferably, you do the joke before the thing happens. <laughs> But that would just be... <laughs> that's, a show, that's a show I want to see. It's like the psychic topical guy. You know, I don't get that. And then t half an hour later, oh, I get it. That would be a great show. Oh, shit. And that's the show I want to see, but I don't want to see that's just a topical show. That's a great idea. Thank you. It's a really Work good idea. Work that out idea. for the next series. Be ahead of the news. <laughs> yeah. Be good. Great idea. I mean, it's mad. <laughs> you could do it once, couldn't you? It's a sketch, really. No, if it? you could see the future, you could do it all the time. If Nostradamus was around, bang. Ultra topical. See the future. He's ultra topical. He was in the 15th century coming up with stuff that was happening in the 20th century. He predicted Hitler. Fucking ultra topical, mate, that is. <laughs> if I discovered that I could <laughs> predict the future. Yeah. I wouldn't be sat behind the desk on a be, that'd be great. TV show. It's like, so now I'm not going to do the lottery. I'm not going to let people know what's going to happen. I'm just going to write some jokes and then people will get them in a bit. <laughs> You're right, that would be the noble thing to yeah. do. Where do you stand on um, 
the oldest pub in Nottingham, do you think it's ye old trip to Jerusalem or, or the bell? Ye old sal salutation ill in? Okay. They both of those have the advantage of having ye old in the title. They do. Which make they must be old because ye have people haven't used that for a long time. <laughs> <That's> right, <yeah. laughs> and, and it says old, so the knee on the end. Yeah, with old, the knee on the end. So it was ye old one when they came up with that name, which must have been a long time ago, and it was old then. That's right. They were kind of ultra topical pubs. <laughs> <laughs> have you drunk in the old, the old, the old trip to Jerusalem pub? Of course I have. If, if anyone's uh, been to Nottingham, go to the old trip, to, ye old trip to Jerusalem. Yeah. It claims to have been founded in 1189. Almost a thousand years old, and it's a pub. So the front comes out and it's brick, but once you go in, it's carved into the caves under Nottingham Castle. So you're drinking in a sandstone cave. It's, it's a wonderful um, novelty. Yeah. The other one, basically, is a pub <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't have that. So if, if forced to choose, I'll, I'll pick the cave. Okay. Because that feels older. The old, though. They both the old trip to Jerusalem. That's a great the old pub. Salutation in. Good. Um, <laughs> People in Nottingham are going to love that bit. It's all right for you, you media elite. You're the elite of London. So the thing I don't like is why that, that never gets challenged. The fucking liberal elite of London. I walk around London all the time. It's a fucking shithole. With lots of, <laughs> lots of extreme people living in extreme poverty who still voted to remain. Yeah. And like, everyone goes, oh, you live in London with your liberal elite. No, fuck, mate, we live in London where everything's really expensive and no one has any fucking shit <laughs> and aren't racist. Um, that, so that, fuck that off. He's a really... I remember George Galloway uh, during the Scottish independence debate, and, and that was kind of a narrative in that. And he was anti-independence, which slightly surprised me. I remember him on Sky News debating with an SMP guy. And the guy was going all about, you know, London beast thing. And George Kelly went, have you been to London? Do you think the streets are paved with gold? <laughs> and it just, it kind of, it's one of those lines that snaps you out of it. And you yeah. go, he's fucking absolutely right. I mean, even people, even though I disagree with the anti-London narrative a lot of the time, you do sort of accept, you sort of have to apologise for being here or being based here. And you shouldn't. No. And, and like you say, London has some of the most deprived parts of, of and England. And people from the, the all, you know, it's a cosmopolitan people from all over the country, people from all over the world, and like really just living in terrible conditions. Yeah. If people knew what was going on in London, you know, <laughs> they're just, oh, it's a horrible place, and yet people are kind of, I mean, they're cunts, but they're kind of decent. <laughs> yeah, apart from um, those, that, that small Finnish immigrant community. <laughs> <laughs> gone rogue so let's talk about your appearance on hypothetical you're a big you're a big uh, it, someone's come up with this great idea for a panel show where someone asks like crazy questions and people have to come up with answers uh, and it's I don't know where they got I don't know where they got the idea from uh, but you're a big sports fan and you do lots of football based yeah I'm a football fan stuff yeah. and you had uh, there, was a, there was a question about Mark you had to guess what Mark Lawrence would answer to some questions it's one of the uh, if I was naked you'd be able to see this um my penis, but, as well as the, but my t I can feel my toes curling in my shoes because uh -huh. it was one of those things where... It's just if you had your shoes off, you didn't have to get <laughs> naked. <laughs> I mean, I was going, which way is this going? Is it made his penis shrivel up or has he become aroused by this story? <laughs> I'm a lefty, mate. One out, all out. <laughs> um, um, the problem I had was, I, I think it's the closest I've ever come to mansplaining. Yeah. I've never done it before, but I was on a team with Kerry Godleyman and it was... Uh, would Mark Lawrence, who's a famous ex-footballer, rather poison the England team, um, 
give a Dale laryngitis or something or uh, knock over Stonehenge. Uh, and Kerry didn't follow football at all. And I sort of said, well, you know, I do like football. <laughs> and I sort of took charge on the question. And um, it included this... I, I got into character of Loro and was... Uh, I said, well, he's not... He's, he's a footballer. He's not going to want to give England the shits. You know, he played for Liverpool. He, he, all this sort of thing. And they did this whole thing about... You know, I, I, I don't even... Stonehenge, I mean, what is it? You know, it's just old stuff. And, you know, you could probably just turn it into flats. And, you know, all this sort of thing. <laughs> this whole logic... And then it was only when Josh Riddickham went, OK, let's find out what former Republic of Ireland international... <laughs> so, oh, fucking hell. <laughs> of course he gave the England team the shits. And it was t- having to go through it in a live... T- there are certain times where, obviously, if you're doing a telly thing, you have to play up a bit and, and muck about. And it was good fun, but I was so genuinely pissed off at myself. I was then stuck there for the rest of the show. <laughs> Just the whole audience knowing you're a fu- an idiot. Like you've been so c- it was the fact that I'd been so cocky with it. Like I've let me handle this. I will show the way. <laughs> Just made an absolute prick out of myself. But it's, it's always good to remind yourself that you, you are a prick. Yeah. So it's, a, it's a good life lesson, I think. Good. <laughs> That's, that's, you know, that's the only bit we're going to leave in the show. <laughs> <laughs> that and the ultra-topical argument. That's, that's, that's going in. Um, uh, so, uh, yo, you're in Pointless Celebrities. I don't know how you got on. You, 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 well, I was awful. Who, po- you, who, you, who were you with on Pointless Celebrities? Uh, Rory Bremner. Oh, wow. And he was very He's good. clever. He was clever. I did quite well on the sort of easier early rounds. Yeah. And then he came on strong. Don't say that to someone who got knocked out in the first round. <laughs> two, 200 points. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, None of the rounds with? are easy. They're all very difficult. I was with uh, Rona Cameron, who uh, fucked oh, up. Oh, wow. So I had to then um, take a chance. What is it with Camerons and fucking up, eh? Yeah. Um, I, uh, the, the problem I have with those things is they're really good fun to do. I think if in life you get the opportunity to go on a fun show that you watch and, and prat about a bit and uh, you know, be slightly competitive, I think that's a real bonus. But also I think... I'm not a celebrity. So when you go, I've done celebrity, what's the, celebrity squares, celebrity points, and a couple of other things, and you just know that people at home are going to go, who the fuck is that? He's not famous or anything. You know, I was at a forest game the other day, and Nottingham people, I genuinely think, are the most direct, in a very sweet way, people. And I was outside the pub before the Derby game, and there were lots of skinhead blokes out there. One of them comes up to me, like Stone Island top, like scarred. I was like, he's all right, mate, you're that comedian, aren't you? I said, yeah, yeah. He goes, I don't think you're funny, by the way, but uh, good on you for being a Forest fan, man. Lovely to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, mate. Yeah, yeah. My mates don't think you're funny either. So, all right, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So it's actually quite. A, he had too much pride. He didn't want to bullshit, but he was quite pleased to sort of see <laughs> yeah. someone that he recognised. I thought it was one of the nicest things anyone's ever said to me. He didn't spit, so that was a first. <laughs> it's quite nice. I've been on this. I've, when I did, I did a gig. For, I support York City only because I was born near there, and I'd only. I've been to about two matches, and I'm not that interested in their shit as well, <laughs> which doesn't help. They've just won five games in a row, which is unprecedented. Which just to save them. Uh, being relegated from the Vanamara League North. That's where we're at. Oh, um, but I got to go on the centre. I got to go out on the centre <laughs> before a match because no I did a gig way. for them. They took me out into the middle. I can't remember what I had to do, but I had to go out in front of the whole 300 people watching a York game. <laughs> might have been. If we were in the league, then it might have even been a thousand. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was such a weird thing. Thing I don't really. You know, this feels so. 
like false that I'm allowed to go out on the centre. What circle. reception did you get? I do not much. I think I had to say something at the in the microphone. I can't even remember. I blanked out. Well, I had hit. I had it. I had hit. I had a hit. moustache at the time. It was that was when. <laughs> oh my god! And wow. What was, what was extraordinary was we were in. We were in the uh, the director's boxes at uh, York City, Booth and Crescent, which is about to be knocked down. Uh, and though they face onto the car park. Well, there's two of them. They face onto the car park. <laughs> then you have to just go and stand in the stands with everyone else to watch the game. So then it's not a, a very uh, luxurious place. The, one of the players came in to meet us all, and he happened to be a black player, came in. Oh, and they went, hello. And I don't really know any, where he was. And was, hello. And I hit the moustache. <laughs> And he's going, oh, hello, yeah, nice to see you. He wasn't playing that day. He went to the other director's box. Yeah. There was a Yorkshire man in there with a Hitler moustache. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, that's awkward. He... <laughs> it must have been awkward when the other players were like, fucking love your politics. <laughs> you keep it up. You're saying what we're all thinking, mate. <laughs> that's the worst thing that happened. That genuinely did happen to me. Not at York, but at, uh, at, um, I was walking along Shepherd's Bush and a white van man at midnight said, well done, mate, you're a man after my own heart. Fuck. Like, it's, if only I had a bit more bravery, I would, I'd espouse my Nazi views by walking around. It is, there's something so chilling about the far right. Yeah. That, and I think, obviously, when you learn about it, it's chilling at school. But I, um, when I was a student, would occasionally steward at Knox County Games. Right. So the season to get a forest. And then it, for county games, me and my mate, it was like 15 quid cash in hand. No one was going, so he didn't have anything to do. But I remember Plymouth brought a load so we all had to go on the away end. And all that was stopping them getting on the pitch was just like a sort of garden gate. So they could have easily overwhelmed us. <laughs> There's all these white skinheads down at the front. And one of them's going, all right, boy, I'll give you 30 quid if you let me on the pitch. I was like, I'm obviously not going to do that. <laughs> He's like, you must need the money, mate. I was like, yeah, but I've, I've, I've got to let you on the pitch. Like, it's just you're misunderstanding what the role is here. It's not about money. Um, and then he goes, he gets a BMP membership card. And he goes, uh, what do you think of that? I said, not much. And he just looked at me and went, white is right. <laughs> I was like, fucking hell. And I looked at the Plymouth team. I said, wait, well, you're playing in green, so does that make you wrong? <laughs> and he went, you fucking what, boy? I said, well, <laughs> if white is right and you're playing in green, does, does that make you wrong? And he, to this day, I think he's probably still at home going, Because <laughs> 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 there's a few of his mates are going, he's fucking got you there, mate. <laughs> I mean, we agree with him. It's a fucking good reply, though, mate. <laughs> it was one of the, just the fucking cult... It's so angry. Yeah. It, it feels like it can't really be reasoned with, unless you do jokes about colours, but it's really <laughs> fucking horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Still, you know, May 22nd, they'll be in charge. So it's... Uh, <laughs> I, for one, welcome our new stupid overlords. <laughs> How about the 650 stupidest people in the country get to be in Parliament? Well, I think some that would say would be, we already That would be that. amazing. Literally, everyone has to sit a test. Well, that's part of the problem with some of the... Uh, I mean, some people have suggested these citizens' assemblies. I don't yeah. know if you've heard this idea where Stella Creech has suggested this idea. And she suggested it on the floor of the House of Commons. And she's a mate of mine, so I feel bad for saying this. But she got up in the, in the House of Commons a few weeks ago and said, what we need to sort Brexit out is to get a few hundred people in a room or a debating chamber with a few hundred people from around the country with differing political views and just get them to... A few hundred people from around... Maybe we'll choose them and get them from around the country. <laughs> You're just describing what we've already got. And, and her then suggestion was, well, okay, instead of electing, we choose them at random. That'd be worse. 
Have you met the public? They've gone insane. The idea of 650 random British people trying to sort this out would be horrible. Some of them would be children as well, presumably, if it's random. That would be really good fun. Like a couple of babies. <laughs> a couple of finished tramps. Yeah, that'd be good. Um, I, I've got a big problem with Nottingham. And Why? I've been, I've been holding it back. It's okay. But I blame everyone in Nottingham, including you, for this. The Tales of Robin Hood. Oh, was a visitor attraction. Yeah. And it's was the best visit. And it, despite all the stuff I said about Robin Hood earlier, <laughs> it was the best tourist attraction I've ever been to. No way. Yeah. You'd travel around a little car into medieval Nottingham and smell what little Charles Boo smelled like. <laughs> yeah. And then at the beginning, a man said, you're about to leave behind your humdrum lives. I said, I, don't, I think my life's better than this, mate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 and then it's closed down it's the Tesco's now yeah I know did you ever go to the Tesco's I never went to it no but I mean that's why it's closed mate because you you're complacently sat there and not and think we don't need to go and see the Tales of Robin Hood I'd rather have a pint of milk at 11 o'clock at night <laughs> I went to um, I went to other Nottingham I went to Sherwood Forest and, and that's not there. a church that's a forest that's not an attraction that's not going to get closed down if people don't go there is it look at how they cut the trees down no one's coming <laughs> Put a Tesco's in. <laughs> I, it's, but I, I should have gone. I should have done. I, I, I'd I have been bad. knocking on the door saying, can I come and work here? I can't believe you didn't go and work at the Tesco. You went and worked in Stoke. You could have walked, worked in the best place in the world. Yeah, but it, I, I wouldn't have been working in politics, would I? No, would you'd have been, have been working in the Tales of Robin Hood. It would have been better. Lobbying for Friar Tuck. <laughs> yeah, it was good. Trying Anyone go to the Tales of Robin Hood? See, you had it. <laughs> yeah. you take a random 300 people in London and three of them have been... <laughs> Do you think it was good, mate? And the bloke went, yeah, he was drunk at the back. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, see? Oh, yeah, say it, it was like great. you mean it, mate. That sounded... It was was it the York. best thing in Nottingham by a long way? Yeah, it was 20 years ago because it's not there anymore. <laughs> and it took you back to medieval times, mate. That is the impressive thing about it, not... I feel really bad. I yeah. didn't go. Um, I thought I'd get more support from the crowd on this, but they seem bored. If you did it in, if you did it in Nottingham, you might. Yeah. Maybe. They seem to like the Brexit stuff more than this. <laughs> <laughs> I do it in Nottingham every time I go to Nottingham. And every do time I do Nottingham, I, I just come out and I'm, I'm furious with them for two minutes about the Tales of Robin Hood. They love it because they know I do it every time. <laughs> and it's been closed for like about 15 years. You know what? I think the Tesco's that it replaced it has now been closed. <laughs> and replaced with something else, like a gym or something. But to think what went it's, in. It's only just remember, John Richardson went to the Tales of Robin Hood. Did Hunt. he, yeah. He was very fond of it. But it was where he got fired. He had a job as a travelling salesman right. in his youth. And they took him for dinner at the Tales of Robin Hood and then let them all go. <laughs> so different people had different yeah. experiences. <laughs> Did they change the thing to bet you're about to leave behind your humdrum <laughs> yeah. job? It was very interactive. I got fired. <laughs> Fucking hell, it was quite an experience. Get fired by the Sheriff of Nottingham, yeah, yeah. Ace. If you can <laughs> fire this arrow into the centre of this board, you can keep your job. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, happy days. Oh, anyway, we're, uh, yeah, look, hey, oh my goodness, we are going to have to wrap up. It's been a lot of fun. <laughs> you, know, you know Tony Blair, mate, but you're well, all right. Who is? 
Uh, do, you, do you know? You're not, do you know? If you're doing any more unspun, it's very good unspun. Oh, thank you very much. I enjoyed watching you talk to that uh, Trump guy who was in for 11 days, Scaramucci or whatever his name Scaramucci, was. Scaramucci, yeah, <laughs> Anthony Scaramucci. So we we flew him over. He was a phenomenal guy. He was one that obviously disagreed with a lot of what he said, but he was he was really funny. But he was he kind of had a frat boy, as a lot of the Trump people do. Yeah. He didn't really feel. Um, like many of the political people that I'd met here, highly intelligent, really knew his stuff, but was really likable character. Yeah, he was likable. It was so because you go, you see these people from afar, and you go, right, these people are despicable, whatever. And then when you see them, in, when you're with them, obviously they're then human beings, and you interact with them in a human way, and that, in a way, isn't necessarily a good thing, but I, I think on the whole it is. But he was, uh, <laughs> he, he still talks to Trump. Yeah. So I said, you still talk to me? Because yeah, man, he, he rang me the other day. I was downtown getting a coffee and a bagel, <laughs> and uh, he rang me up. I said, man, why are you still calling me, dude? All this stuff. Like, <laughs> just the thought of talking to a president like that. But like, oh, I'm his president, you know. It's a kind of. But he had some amazing stories. I mean, we took him out for dinner the night before, and he didn't feel like someone who'd worked in the White House. And I mean that as a compliment. I mean, with a lot of them. With the Trump thing is very difficult for people because the Brexit is one thing, but I think the way Trump behaves is so beyond the pale morally for people that they can't really understand how anyone would get involved in it. But when you talk to people involved in it, they're like, what, a lot of what he says resonates with certain people from certain backgrounds. And, uh, you know, there's, what I really struggle with is people say people are angry and he reflects that anger. My thing is, people are angry, calm them down. <laughs> Don't make them more angry yeah, in order to get elected. Say, I understand your anger, but getting more angry is not gonna sort this problem out. And I think that's a real problem at the moment. And I think this is part of my issue with Corbyn is, it's absolutely right that people are angry, but don't wind them up further. You know, put lotion on the wound. Uh, don't spit on it. You know, just, you know, just that's just general good advice yeah. for any scenario. <laughs> Don't spit on it. Put um, lotion that will give you skin cancer on it. Yeah. That, that's your advice yeah, to everything. Just, I, I think in general, I think we all need to... And I have to... You know, sometimes you go online and you think, fucking hell. And I've, I've deleted tweets before because I think, I've been too angry now or I've been too rude to someone who probably just was interested in an idea and has expressed themselves in an angry way. Then I've met them with anger. And really, if we all carry on like that, we're all doomed. So. Well, that's the problem with social media is you, you, you respond to stuff in the moment whatever mood you're in, whatever you're doing, you know, you're cross about something else and bang, you're suddenly just calling someone a dick. It's, well, it's funny what winds you up like. So when people say, I'm going to kill you, or I'm going to sit your throat, I'm like, yeah, blah, blah. And people say, um, you fucking this, that, and the other, you war criminal supporting, you know, blah, 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 blah. If someone says, sorry on that, mate, you weren't funny, I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> that is the worst. Oh, oh. That being told you're not funny is the most offensive thing. <laughs> people can call me anything else. They can literally threaten my life. Yeah. I'd be like, ah, it's fine. But the moment they go, weren't very good on that thing, mate. Like, oh. God, you must, you must have such a horrible <laughs> time in life. <laughs> oh. oh, I'm joking. Thank you for having me on your show, Unspun. Uh, you were I, was, I was allowed to come and do some stand-up on TV for uh, 12 minutes, and it was very nice. You were brilliant. 12 minutes in the last 15 years. No, I'm joking. Uh, no, it was really good fun. It's a great show. I hope you'll get to do more, or uh, if not that, something else. And do listen into the podcast, which is awesome as well. And if Cheers, the, the Brexit thing might carry on beyond May the 22nd. Well, whatever happens, Brexit is the next 20 years at least. Yeah. As an issue, it's just been completely inflamed. So whether we're in or we're out, 
People aren't going to stop talking about it. The debate isn't going to stop. Oh, and arguably, neither to. should it. Well, we just want whoever can make it stop. We'll do that. It's sort of the opposite of King Arthur. Whoever can put the sword back in the Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep it contained. Yeah. Shoot it out into space like that thing in Superman. That's what we need. All the Brexit people are, are put in like a prison void prism thing and it's shot into space, but then they will come back at some well, point. Well, you know what? If they, if they, if they really want to leave, yeah. they leave the planet. Yeah. Well, that's if you really want to leave Europe, because we're geographically part of Europe, that cannot be changed. That's what the BBC website said today about something about we'll be, it'll, it'll send us into space. But I think they were talking about the fact that we wouldn't be able to be in the space programme, but they did it as if Brexit will ruin, uh, ruin us in space or something. Yeah, those aliens are really going to turn yeah. against us. <laughs> but it's the only people who are going to trade with us. But anyway, it's, um, <laughs> it's been fantastic to have you on, Matt. Pleasure. Good luck with everything. Ladies and gentlemen, Matt Cheers. Ford! Thank you so much. Thank you. We'll be back next week with Les Dennis. Do come along. How do you like them sky potatoes? <laughs>